really, yeah, we've been in First Timothy, and we have come a long way at this point. Uh, it's awesome. We first started this book way back in the summer. June 15th, I went and looked back through the messages, and June 15th was the first night. It was the first week after summer camp, if you can believe it. That was, man, that was a long time ago, and this past Sunday, Josh had said, just said something to me about summer camp this coming year. Like, man, that's a, so we've been, we've been at it a long time, but uh, that's awesome, and to go all the way through a book like this uh, is a really good thing. So, yeah, you can go ahead and first uh, turn to First Timothy chapter 6, uh, the last few verses, verse 17 on, but uh, anyway, so, you know, we've taken some breaks in between, um, but up to this point, we've heard 22 messages from this book, and I thought that was cool. Tonight will be the 23rd, and we've heard from a lot of different people, too. We were doing small groups back then. Uh, of course, we've heard from Corey and Zach and myself, and we've heard from other people, Garrett, Vinny, Kagan, Landon, Tim, Brock, Wyatt. Uh, I think that's everybody, but uh, we've covered a lot of top- topics, too, throughout this book, and... We've got one final topic for tonight to uh, talk about, and more recently, uh, earlier in chapter 6, uh, we were coming off the heels of money. We've talked about money um, quite a bit, so tonight, then we're going to come, come off the heels of that and talk, talk about stewardship, um, and actually, I was, uh, th- a verse came to mind when we were singing that first song uh, called Run, and it just reminded me of Paul said, man, I've, I've run a good race, I've finished my course. And man, that's what we want to be able to say with our lives. And to be able to do that, we're going to have to be able to, to accomplish the mission that God has for our lives. And we've got to be faithful with the things that he's given us. And so stewardship is going to be the theme tonight. Um, and a steward is someone that's been entrusted with something that belongs to someone else and has the responsibility to take care of it or to use it rightly or wisely. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And Paul has direction for two people tonight in our passage uh, that have been trusted with some things. So if you're open to 1 Timothy 6, 17, we're going to read to the end of the chapter. It says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions to science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Let's go before the Lord and ask him to teach us. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. Um, I thank you that you're so good to us. Um, You're so good to us because of what you've already done for us um, on the cross and coming to this planet as a man. Um, but you're so good to us each and every day in the ways that you've blessed us here. Um, and you've giveth, given us so many things to enjoy. Um, you've given us physical things. You've given us spiritual things, uh, friends, family, even letting us be here tonight. Um, given us your word that we can study it, that we can know you. Um, that's incredible. We're so thankful. You wouldn't have to do anything. You owe us nothing. But you've given us so much, and we're grateful for that. Um, and I just pray that as we look at this final passage in, in this book of First Timothy tonight, that um, you would just allow us to, to see the things that we need to um, so, that, so that we can finish the, the course that you want us to finish and run, run our race well and, um, and be good stewards of, of these things. Um, and I just pray that you would be our teacher tonight um, and that you would speak uh, through the words of this book. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've got two points for tonight. And... 
uh, we're going to start with a charge for the physically rich. And we'll see this, well, we kind of just saw it in verses 17 through 19. Um, and Paul, through Timothy, has some direct charges for those that are rich in this world. In verse 17, it said, he, he said, charge them that are rich in this world. And so he's got some things to say to them. And Paul gives specific directives in our passage tonight for those that are rich. But before we look at those, allow me to remind you of some, some things we've already seen concerning money and our attitude about it, and some things that I'm sure you've heard before. Um, but first of all, First off, many of us have heard the word rich, and we, we heard it in this passage, and we're, we're already thinking different things. Uh, some of us are picturing yachts and jets and Lamborghinis, and some of us are picturing the houses on the south side, um, or anywhere in between. It's all relative to what you're comparing to, but really, I mean, think about this. The global distribution of wealth in the world, uh, concerning that, man, we are extremely blessed, even if we're just living in this country. Uh, you can look up the stats on your own, I'll spare you those, but... And we've, in comparing to most of the people in the world, we've got a lot to be thankful for. So it's just, that's just something to keep in mind. Um, but, but back to the Bible. A couple of weeks ago in chapter 6, um, it saw, we saw verse 7, and it said, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And I think I have a, have a picture for you guys. Yes. Anybody been driving around and seen one of those on the back of a bumper? Right, a bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys wins, right? No. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the thing is that that acknowledges that you die. <laughs> I just, like I never, I never really understood that the point of that sticker. But I mean, you've never seen a, a U-Haul or a hearse with a U-Haul, right? Um, so listen, we got to remember that physical riches are temporal, and you can't take any of it with you when you die. And as certain as death is to separate you from stuff. You might not have to wait that long to lose it, actually. Um, it might leave you before you leave it. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 through 20, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Earthly treasures are going to pass away, but heavenly treasures is secure, and heavenly treasure doesn't deteriorate, and no one can steal it from you. And so, okay, quick little side story. A while back, uh, I bought a safe for my house. And mainly, I, you know, I wanted to keep important documents safe from a fire um, or something like that. Or, you know, I, I, I think about everything. So I didn't, you know, I didn't want to come home one night and find somebody broke into my house and they're holding me up with my own gun or something, something crazy like that. But, um, and if you know me, you know I'd overthink pretty much everything. Um, and so, I, you know, as usual, I was over-researching it. Um, but... One of the conclusions I found was actually pretty sobering. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't expect this throughout my research about what safe is best. Um, and, and the idea is that no safe is thief-proof and no safe is fireproof, uh, which is, I mean, everybody wants to buy a safe for those reasons, right? Um, somebody that knows what he's doing can crack any lock. The question is, how long is it going to take him? Uh, or, you know, anybody can drill through a safe or torch one up and get one inside, but how long is that going to take? Or, you know, any safe will burn up in a fire uh, if it just depends on how hot the fire is and for how long. Apparently, most house fires are hot enough, long enough, if it's a complete burn down that it destroys the safe too. And even if it doesn't, usually it gets hot enough that the stuff inside burns up. So, anyway, uh, it was, it was, it was kind of like, oh man, why am I, well then what's the, what's the point? Which, I mean, that kind of is the point. So, all right, if you're in, a, in the market for a safe, 
Now, you've got to ask yourself the question, how long do you need to deter those events? For example, if you live right next to the fire station, you probably don't have to worry about the house burning down completely. Um, okay, but anyway, what's the point? <laughs> so th- the point is that even, even a safe is not a guarantee, and the safe companies will tell you, they'll tell you that. They acknowledge that what Jesus says is true. It's like, man, this, these things are meant and designed to keep your valuables safe, and they acknowledge that they can't do it. So, um, I, I just thought that was a sobering thought. But uh, moreover, heavenly riches, so they're going to, physical riches will pass away, but heavenly riches, not only will they not, but they're better than the riches we experience here. Jesus says in Luke 16, 10 and 11, he says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If ye therefore have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So, there's, so in this story, there's a steward here, and he was entrusted with managing someone else's money. And in Luke chapter 16, it, it opens up with Jesus telling us this story. But long story short, the guy kind of blows it. He makes some unwise decisions uh, early on, but then he tries to make some wise decisions to kind of uh, fixes unfaithfulness. But the point is that he's a steward of physical riches on this planet, and Jesus makes a comparison to those physical riches when he mentions that, mentions that there's a category of riches that are the true riches, and they're not the things that he was in charge of. And of course, we understand that Jesus is talking about heavenly and eternal riches, so phys- physical riches don't even weigh, on, on the, weigh in on the scale of true riches. But also notice that this steward was being judged for how he managed the wealth he was given. Every steward has to answer eventually for the decisions he made with the resources he was given. So we need to be faithful with what we've been entrusted with now and maintain the right attitude about it now and we'll maybe be given more in the future. We saw the same idea last week. Being good stewards of our earthly riches now will benefit us in eternity. Last week we looked up at 1 Timothy 6.19, which is actually from our passage tonight. Uh, It says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You want to jump into your eternity with uh, a good foundation already built? Then be a good steward of what you got now. And keep in mind that that what we've got now doesn't even register on the scale of the true riches that we'll get then. And while we're mostly discussing this in terms of money, because I do think it's the most common and the primary application and understanding, um, but it's an important distinction just, just to understand that uh, just because verse 17 uses the word rich doesn't have to mean it's talking only about money. First of all, the word rich is used simply to describe you know, a large quantity of something like it does at the end of verse 17 and in verse 18. Um, but also we can be rich in this world in, in, in different ways. We can have a lot of money, but we could also have a great talent or we could have fame uh, or a lot of time even. <clears throat> a lot of us are rich in time right now, aren't we? And so in, uh, on Sunday mornings, we've been doing a kids in tech 9 a.m. training hour class and talking about how much time we spend on technology. And I mean, if you think you're not rich in time, well, how much time, keep track of how much time you spend on your phone throughout the day, and maybe that's where it's going. Um, just some thoughts for you, but I digress. So with all of that in mind, let's continue adjusting our attitude and actions with and about physical resources by looking at the few specific things Paul says for us tonight. The first two are going to continue the idea of maintaining the proper attitude about our wealth. And the last one will be about our actions. Um, And both of these mindsets are similar in that there's a problem of where our focus is in them. And both we shift our focus off of God. So in verse 17, 
we see that Paul says that charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. So the first thing Paul says is not to be high-minded. Or simply put, don't be prideful. Or be humble. God knows who we are and he knows what our tendencies are. When we're in our flesh and we have a lot of money. We tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think because of our wealth. It's the pride of life. And God warned the nation of Israel about this exact same thing whenever he, he, whenever he was going to give them the wealth that they were promised in the promised land. In Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 14, and then a couple verses at the end, it says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. And then jumping down to verse 17. And thou shalt say in thine heart, My power in the might of mine hand hath got me this wealth. But thou shalt, rem- but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant with which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it's, it sounds a little ridiculous to think that they, they would really consider that in the Old Testament story, but, I mean, really, if you stop and reflect, we do this too, don't we? I mean, we think there's some good reason about us that we have this wealth that we have. We think we deserve it or that we've earned it because we're so deserving. Well, don't be so high-minded. It's God that gives us the power to get it in the first place, And it's him that giveth us richly all things to enjoy, like it says in the end of verse 17 of our passage. And we also touched on this connection of pride and wealth a couple weeks ago. We saw earlier up in chapter 6, in verses 4 and 5, in reference to people that that we're supposed to avoid, Paul says that these people are proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Did you catch that? These people are proud, and they think that gain, or like wealth and riches, is godliness. They think that that they are spiritual because they have wealth. And that's such a prideful mindset. Yeah, physical blessing comes from God. But these people have the reasoning all wrong. It's not about them at all. It's not about us. It's, It's because God is good, and they're supposed to use that that gain for good, like we'll see in a minute. Um, So make sure your wealth doesn't cause you to forget God and to shift your focus onto yourself. Trust in him, not yourself. And the second focus twist is also seen in the same verse, in verse 17. It goes on that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Sometimes we forget God by shifting our focus off of God and onto the riches. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in God. God knows this temptation too. We think that because we have stuff and our immediate and or foreseeable needs are met, that we don't need him. And although none of us here would say that out loud, how often do we think of a need that we have and then immediately think of what we have that can fill that need or, or how to get it? We often think of the provision before the provider. And look, I get it. We live in the 21st century in the United States. We have such quick and easy access to everything that we need immediately that praying about it would take maybe more time than it would to just go get it. So, have you ever been on a missions trip to a third world country? 
Doesn't it typically seem like those, the people in those situations are much more open to the gospel and spiritual conversations than people you come across to here? Sometimes that's just a cultural difference, but frequently that's because those people have unmet needs. They recognize that they're in need and they're open to solutions. Jesus references this concept in Mark 10 where we see the story of the rich young man. He comes to Jesus and asks the question, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And after some exchange of dialogue, Jesus tells him to go sell everything he's got and follow him. But the guy wasn't willing to do it, and he goes away sad. Which on that note, first of all, would you be willing to do that? To sell everything you've got, except what you can carry on your back? It's kind of, kind of what the disciples were doing. Would you be willing to do that? The answer definitely should be yes, especially with the right mindset we've already reviewed this, this evening. Um, but would your, would your answer be that? Anyway, Jesus has some further commentary about this rich guy after he leaves. Check it out in Mark 10, 23 and 24. It says, And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? So here, Jesus gives us some insight on this guy's issue. He was trusting in his riches. And so many of us can be like that, and so, so many people around us are like that. They've got everything they need physically, so they don't see the need for God in their lives. How many of your friends, your family, your coworkers, have you tried to share the gospel with, and they just aren't interested because they don't, they don't think they need it? But just because someone is blessed in this world doesn't have to mean they can't follow God. Of course not. It's your choice, and it is possible. Matthew 27, 57 says, When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And this was the Joseph in whose tomb Jesus was laid after his crucifixion. Joseph uh, goes and gets his body from Pilate, and we saw during our Christmas series that he and Nicodemus anoint Jesus' body with myrrh and aloes, and they bury him there. But notice from that verse, Joseph is both rich and Jesus' disciple. So if you keep your focus on the Lord despite your riches, you can be a good steward of them, and you can do the right things with them. And that leads us into our next point, that we need to do good, which we see in verse 18. In verse 18 and 19, it says, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And we kind of already alluded to this concept tonight, but Paul wants Timothy to charge those that are rich in this world that they do good. So in the context of our passage and what we're talking about tonight, the idea here is not simply that you have good works in general or are doing good things like helping old ladies cross the road, although we should do that. The idea here is because you have a lot of resources, because you're rich, you should be using them to accomplish good works. The phrase, that they be rich in good works, sums it up perfectly. Those that are rich in resources should be rich in good works. You know the famous saying from Luke 12 where Jesus says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. So he who has much should do much with it. That's being a good steward. Don't hoard hoard it all for yourself, but use it to bless others. It's not yours anyway. It's God's who has simply entrusted it to you. Joseph was a good example for us in Matthew 27, 57, because he used his time, his property, his position, and his wealth to do a good work for Christ to retrieve, anoint, and bury his body. That's an example for us to follow. 
He used his resources to do something that many others couldn't do because they didn't have the wealth he had. Think about that. I wonder if there would have been anyone else that was able to do that but unwilling. Maybe the rich young ruler that we saw had the wealth to be able to do that. I mean, the myrrh was super expensive, right? But he missed out on that opportunity and missed out on the opportunity to have his name. His name's not even in Scripture. His story is for all of eternity. But man, Joseph, Joseph's name's in Scripture. Man, he did it right. He used his wealth for good and to do good. And it's because he used his wealth for good that he got in. And so we need to be good stewards of our wealth and use it to do good. As Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And people that are wealthy have different and potentially more opportunities to do good in this world. So that's what they should do. But verse 18 actually lists a couple specific, specific examples for us of how we can use our money. Let's look at it again in verse 18. It says that they, do, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And so to distribute it simply means to give. <clears throat> um, the story of the rich young ruler is found in three of the Gospels. And in, and in Luke's version, Jesus specifically uses this word distribute when he says, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor. And in the other, the other accounts, it just says, and sell, sell what you have and give unto the poor. To distribute, it's to give. We should be of a ready mind to give of our wealth for the needs of others or for the needs of the church. It could be giving money outright or giving your resources or your possessions. In the context of the local, of the local church, uh, this isn't, I would not consider this a tithe, um, but this would be additional giving over and above a tithe. A tithe would just be the standard. And then we see this word communicate, that they're willing to communicate. And at first, that, that might seem like a little out of place, the use of that word. And that's because we typically use this in terms of language and speaking, to impart or to share knowledge. And it's probably the most common usage of the word, and, and even in Scripture. And it, and it appears in different forms, communicate, communication, communicated. Um, but it doesn't have to be restricted only to the context of language, and it's not here, actually. Um, in its most rudimentary, rudimentary form, the word contains the idea of to make common, communicate, common, communal. When we t- we're about to take communion in a couple Sunday mornings. We see that, um, that, that with communion, we're sharing something together with Christ. And so this idea of sharing and communal, even in language, when you communicate, you're sharing that knowledge. And so the exact word communicate in the present or in the past tense, communicate, communicated, it appears six times in Scripture. Two of them are in the context of giving the gospel and God's word. Three are in the context of money, one which is our passage tonight, and another one within the context of sacrifice from Hebrews. So in putting all that together, we should sacrifice by sharing our wealth to promote the gospel. Generally, yeah, we should be distributing our resources to meet physical needs, but we should also be using them specifically for the gospel's sake and to promote the gospel. Think about missions. Paul was a missionary. He tra- Paul was right to Timothy. He traveled around to share the gospel and God's word. And he also had a lot of experiences during his travels. Uh, in Philippians, he talks about how he has experienced good times and bad times, times of plenty, times of suffering need. And right after he mentions those ideas to them, we see him use this word communicate. In Philippians 4, 14 through 16, he says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that you did communicate with my affliction. What, what did, did, did they talk to his affliction? Is that, is that what that means? Well, let's keep reading. 
verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So the Philippians communicated with Paul's affliction during his missionary travels by giving him money. They communicated as concerning giving and receiving. And I think that's what our passage is getting at here tonight. And it's, it's that we use our resources in such a way that it produces fruit in eternity. So in the context of our local church, again, we've got a tithe, and we've got offerings above the tithe, and, and here at FBC, we've got an entirely separate category, which is giving to missions. And so a faithful steward of God's word is going to be using it for good in all of those areas. And as we've already seen, that's a good investment in our eternity, like verse 19 talks about. And it's a good investment because the real riches are eternal. They're not physical. They're spiritual. And that brings us to our second point. A charge for the spiritually rich. <clears throat> and we'll, we'll take a look at the last two verses here. Verses 20 and 21. It says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. And although I think most of, most of the people in this country do fit into the category of being physically rich, I also think most of the people in this church fit into the category of being spiritually rich. And first of all, man, if you're saved in here, you're spiritually rich because you have eternal life. And that's through Christ, and that's awesome. Amen. Um, but if you understand eternal security, you know that Christ already did everything that needed to be done to secure your salvation. That's, that's not on you anymore. That's on him, as long as you are saved. Christ has already accomplished that. He was the good steward to produce that. And so if you're saved and you're in, this, you're in this room, you're guaranteed to spend eternity, eternity with Christ. Amen. Right. So you don't Amen. really need to, to steward your salvation in that, in that sense. But, man, there's, there's, you had to have knowledge when you got saved. Holding the knowledge of this truth in the gospel and the spiritual truth available to us in God's word is spiritual richness, richness that we need to be good stewards of. So the first thing Paul, Paul tells Timothy is to keep that which is committed to thy trust in verse 20. And so Paul doesn't specifically identify what he tells Timothy to keep here. Um, but it's at the end of this letter that Paul wrote to him. And he's got directives and advice and plenty of knowledge and truth in that. In that. And so generally speaking, I think the idea here is, as a young pastor, Timothy has the responsibility to pastor that church well, based on the truth of God's word. So to steward this church well, he has to steward the faith well. So generally, the faith has been entrusted to Timothy. And there's been a theme throughout this book that we'll see more of in a minute, but that people are actually not keeping the faith. They're carried away with error and false doctrine and teaching things that oppose the faith. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but notice the contrast we see here as an example of what it would look like for Timothy to not keep that which was committed unto him. The result is to err from the faith. And in verse 21, it says, which some professing have erred from the faith. That's the result. <clears throat> so Timothy needs to keep the faith. He needs to be a good steward of the faith. But this is, this is a big book. <laughs> and the faith has many components, of course. So, you know, I get it, sometimes easier said than done, but there are a few things that, that come to mind when thinking about that. First of all, 
the most the most important perhaps is the gospel and we didn't have to get very far into the book of 1 Timothy before Paul mentioned that. In 1 Timothy 1.11, he said, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul says that the gospel was committed to his trust, and we know that Paul was faithful with it. So no doubt, Timothy has to keep it, and we have to keep it too. That is, we have to be good stewards of it. We have to keep it pure, and we have to share it. And if you're here and you don't know the good news of the gospel, man, that's the very reason God brought you here tonight. God tells us in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look, we're all sinners. And you didn't have to come here for me to tell you that. You know that. You know you're not perfect. And none of us are perfect. We all come short of the glory of God and his standards. But in Romans 6.23, the first part says, for the wages of sin is death. And so we die, so there's consequences of that sin, and it's death. And we, we die physically, yeah, of course. But it's also a spiritual death. And that has us destined to be separated from Christ for forever. Because he's perfect and holy, and we are imperfect in sin, and you can't mix the two. And sin has to be judged, it's wrong. A right judge isn't right if he doesn't judge according to the law. Man, according to the law, man, we deserve death, we've broken it. We're sinners. And so we're separated from him for all of eternity. But, but there's, a, there's, a, there's good news here, and that's that in Romans 5, 8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he came, so we owe that, that the penalty for sin is death in Christ. God himself came to this planet, lived a perfect life, didn't deserve death because he was sinless, and he died on that cross for you. He paid that death for you, for us, for me. And that's amazing. And so the second half of Romans 6.23 goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So because of what Christ has done for us, we can have access to eternal life and a restored relationship to him. But also notice that it's a gift. One of my favorite verses, verses in sharing the gospel is Ephesians 2.8 and 9. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So it's by his grace, grace and our faith. He already did everything that needed doing, that needed done. All we gotta do is apply our faith. And so in Romans 10, 9, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You gotta have the right information and you gotta make a decision based on that information. I grew up in this church and I had the right information, but man, it wasn't until I went to summer camp and, and till it clicked in my head that I realized, man, I've never made any decision based on that. Well, you have to decide to apply your faith in what he's done and make him Lord of your life. And you can do that tonight. So the first step in keeping the faith is you've got to have it first, right? So if you have questions about that, come talk to me or to Corey or Zach or, or the person that brought you. It's the best decision you'll ever make. So don't leave here without getting that nailed down. And for those of us that are saved, how well are you stewarding the gospel? Would you be able to take those verses and share them with people and explain it? When's the last time that you did? But since Paul spent all this time writing this letter to Timothy and then tells him at the end, keep that which is committed to thy trust, I think it's fair to say that Timothy is responsible for all the information that Paul just wrote him about. And since we, okay, and so we, we've already mentioned that this book written to Timothy, it's, we call it Timothy's Mail. I thought that was cool. And so we've been reading Timothy's Mail 
Well, okay, so we got insight on all that. So we, get, so we know this stuff too now. We've covered a lot of, a lot of the topics in this series. Uh, I went through and I looked at them. We've covered things like motivation for ministry, being a faithful minister, the law and your testimony as tools for ministry. We've covered warring a good warfare, how and why to pray, outward appearances, men and women and their roles, qualifications for leaders, bad ministers, that was a fun one, exercise and godliness. We've talked about church relationships and dealing with different kinds of people, widows and helping people, responsibilities to our leaders, contentment and wealth. Well, now that we know that stuff, we're responsible to be good stewards, stewards of that information, to, to use it, to remember it and use it in our lives. Don't forget it, keep it. On the topic of relationships and taking care of others, we saw 1 Timothy 5.8, and it said, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's a strong saying. So as part of keeping the faith, we need to be obedient to live out these things that we've seen. And we saw that we have responsibilities physically and spiritually to the people in our lives as part of keeping the faith. So who has God put in your life? Are you being a good steward of that relationship? spiritually and physically. I know most of us don't have kids. Some, some, some do, but most of us don't. But also some of us are married. Us, I will be soon, not yet. But you have a spouse to love, respect, to provide for. Some of you have a disciple that needs your prayer and spiritual leadership, just as Timothy did Paul. How about your grandparents? It's been snowing a lot lately. Have you shoveled their driveway? Do your coworkers know that they can come to you for spiritual truth in their lives? How well do you know your pastor? Do you honor your parents? Look, there's only two things in this planet right now that are eternal. The word of God and the souls of men. On the topic of keeping the faith and being good stewards of the word and right doctrine, the Bible specifically calls us out as stewards of some very specific biblical truth. Do you know what that is? You know what I'm referring to? The first verse we read tonight about stewardship is from that passage in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. It says, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. God calls us to be stewards of the seven mysteries in scripture. Can you name them? Do you know where to find them in scripture? This was a hard one for me. So I'll list them quick. Just list them. I'm not going to look at them. But the rebirth of Israel, the rapture of the church, the body of Christ, the indwelling of Christ, the incarnation of the devil, the incarnation of Christ, and the religion of the Antichrist. Being a good steward of the mysteries will keep you out of a lot of false doctrine because it twists those. And that leads us to our last little subpoint to avoid false doctrine. And the last couple of verses again. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So just as Timothy is to keep what is right, he is to avoid what is wrong. And that's because teachers of false doctrine have been a common theme throughout this entire book. I'm not going to belabor this point. We've, we've already seen it up to, through this point. But Timothy, Timothy had a lot to deal with and he had a lot to avoid. Just listen to, to these verses. I don't, I don't, they may be on the screen, but I'm going to run through a couple verses quick. Um, in chapter 1, verse 3, we saw that Timothy had to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions. Chapter 1, verse 6, 
there were some having swerved, having turned aside unto vain jangling. Verses 19 through 20 of chapter 1, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I mean, the people are blaspheming and they're putting away the faith. Uh, and chapter 4, verse 7, he was, Paul has directed Timothy to refuse profane and old wives' fables. And earlier in chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, uh, he said, if any man teach otherwise, so people were teaching otherwise, right? And consent not to wholesome words, verse 4, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. So Timothy and his church were surrounded with those that would challenge and corrupt the faith. And Paul's directive is to avoid those things. When you allow the devil any room, he's going to take a mile. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So concerning the spiritual truth and doctrine that we've talked about, in Romans 16, 7, Paul again says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned, and avoid them. Galatians 1, 9, As we said before, so say I now again, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. We need to keep the gospel pure. That Of course people take that. So if you want to avoid the things that will lead you astray, then you need to also avoid the people that teach them. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. But also study the word. You don't necessarily have to be familiar with every false science or every vain babbling that exists. Uh, the devil's sly. He's always changed them anyway. But what you do have to be, you just have to be sure of what is right. And you'll recognize the wrong things when they come. That's what, that's what people that recognize counterfeit money, it's not that they have every, every way that it's changed memorized. It's that they just know so well what's right. So, uh, in 2 Timothy 2.15, we're directed to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The better you know the word, the better your chances are of identifying and avoiding being led astray by bad doctrine. But on the flip side, if you constantly surround yourself with bad influences, you're going to be affected. It's the biblical concept of reaping what you sow. If you, if you know, the, if you're familiar with the story of Lot, Lot was a just man, and he lived in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was, it, that place was so vile that God destroyed it. But we, we get some uh, insight into Lot's life from 2 Peter, from Peter, in, in 2 Peter 2.8. And it says, For that righteous man dwelling among them, he was a righteous man, right? For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So you will be affected and influenced by what you choose to allow around you. The filth of this world. The bad doctrine and teaching, Bible teaching. Don't let that creep in. So are, are you actively avoiding those things and avoiding the filth of this world? Uh, I mentioned the kids in tech class that we're going through on Sunday mornings. And holy cow, there's, there is so much filth available to us through the technology that we have. And we need to set up defenses to fight against that. If we're not actively trying to, to fight those things, it's going to creep in. If you're, if there's, no there's no such thing as stagnant in the faith. There's actively moving forwards and there's being pushed backwards. 
And listen, you know, I don't know what, where, if everybody here goes to our church or not, but man, if you're, if you're not doing anything on Sunday mornings, uh, that Kids in Tech class is at 9 a.m. Sunday mornings. If you're not coming, you should come. Um, and listen, the, the opposite's true too. I mean, if you surround yourself with the right influences, you'll be mo- more prone for success, to be a good steward of all of these things that, that we've been entrusted with. And especially because we're in a good church, we, we've been entrusted with a lot in this book. And, um, so we, we need to do a lot with it. So keep coming back and hanging out with us uh, on Tuesday nights. So come on Sundays. Uh, we're about to go through a dating series here soon. That's going to be fun. And man, talking about the, way that, the ways that the world has crept into our minds, uh, dating and relationships and all of that stuff, man, the world has really perverted those things. And um, so th- this dating series is going to be good. It's always good to reevaluate and, and reassess uh, what God says about things. And so, um, so join us for that uh, through the month of February. Uh, in honor of this series, I'm even going to get married. I mean, uh, <laughs> okay, maybe I was getting married anyway. Um, but, it, you know, it works out. The timing is great. Um, so there's that. But anyway, um, so it's been a great series. And for real, I mean, we need to be good stewards, we, good stewards of, of our lives. There's a judgment coming someday for all of us. And it, it seems far off, um, but it might be tomorrow. You know, we're, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Um, so every day live that out knowing and everything you've been given. God's given it to you for your enjoyment, but also use it for good and use it to reach the lost. So anyway, uh, we're going to sing another song. Let's pray, and then we'll praise the Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you again um, for who you are. Thank you again for your word. And uh, Lord, it's so important uh, that, that we take these things to heart and that uh, we are actively studying your word uh, to, to recognize false doctrine, to apply it to our lives. It's not just about knowledge, Lord, but we want to we do and, and apply and use these things that we've learned. Um, thank you so much for your grace and mercy toward us as we are figuring these things out. We know, uh, you know our, we're here, our course isn't finished yet, and so we're, we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you're gracious and, and merciful toward us. And just pray that each and every day we can, our head can hit the pillow, pillow and we can go to bed Uh, looking more like you than we did when we woke up, Um, and being more obedient and and more sanctified and more surrendered to you. Uh, Lord, just thank you for for the well. Um, Thank you for this church and just for all of the blessings. You have have blessed us so richly, um, spiritually and physically. Uh, We love you and we want you to be glorified. It's in your name we pray. Amen.